Deep, a good omens podvik, written by Entangled Now and read by Jab. Summary After finally sharing his last and oldest secret with Crowley, Aziraphale feels brave enough to confess his feelings and to explore what intimacy means for the both of them. This is a Podoween 2020 treat for Zampa Fiona. Crowley knows that the angel is nervous. His posture at the table is perfect. The way he lifts a spoon and stirs the tea Crowley had poured for him, steady and calm. He smiles over his cup in a way that gives no outward sign that this evening is to be different to any other they've shared. But every so often the lamp around them will buzz, the bulbs dimming as artificial light is pulled from the room. For the briefest second, the empty space behind the Xerophil softens and runs, like liquid. Crowley is slowly learning how to tell when a Xerophil is nervous, not just the signs his body gives, not the fidgeting and the swaying and the hesitation. He's long been familiar with those. He's learning how to read him in new and different ways now, and he can't pretend the idea doesn't thrill him. It's been a long time since he said new things to learn about the angel. Still, the words Aziraphale had fortified himself to say are still echoing in Crowley's head. Refusing to settle, preferring instead to replay over and over. I would like us to make love, if that's something you'd be interested in. He reaches a hand across the table, fingertips resting gently on Aziraphale's knuckles. You know you can change your mind at any point tonight. If it's too much, or if you don't like it, or... He stops, not entirely sure of all the ways Aziraphale might find this difficult. For any reason, we don't always get on with human things. They are not always right for us. He needs Aziraphale to know that he's already made Crowley happy. The two of them are together, and that's always been enough for him. The light overhead brightens considerably. Aziraphale gives a warning glance, and it returns to a steady illumination. You have always been the most important person in my life. Aziraphale lifts his tea, stares into it for a moment, before meeting Crowley's eyes. It doesn't seem fair to keep things from you now. You know the way I feel about you. I want you to... I want you to know me, too. The tea is tasted, though Crowley wonders if it's simply to bolster him before he speaks again. Not just in words. I like it when you touch me. Now that you know the truth, it's harder to find reasons not to let you. To ask you to, even. Crowley wants to protest that he does know him, 
in all the ways that matter. But he understands that Aziraphale is trying to be honest now about as many things as he can. I like touching you, too, Crowley says. That's always been true, even if the opportunities had been few and far between over the years. But I know you're afraid, and I know you think you have good reason. I also know that the idea of showing your true self for the first time can be a bit nerve-wracking. Especially if you've been passing yourself off as something else for 6,000 years. Oh, Crowley didn't blame him for that. He couldn't blame him for that. Though, he'd admit, at first he'd been a bit surprised at the true extent of their differences. He'd known for a long time that Aziraphale wasn't quite what he appeared to be. There were pieces that didn't fit or that couldn't be easily dismissed, that had at times felt unexpectedly jarring. Crowley was more hurt by the fact that the angel hadn't felt like he could share the secret with him, as if there was ever anyone he would have told. He understands that Aziraphale had been following the rules as he knew them, the part he thought he needed to play. But he was trying now. He loved Crowley, and he was trying. It was different without the secrets, without all the things Crowley had to pretend he didn't see. The one thing he knew for certain was that they'd always been reaching for each other, inching closer every time. Crowley had gone too fast for him once, but now Aziraphale was trying to meet him halfway when it came to the concept of time. I know you're worried you'll hurt me, he adds gently, then wishes he hadn't when Aziraphale visibly winces, pulling his tea towards him as if it might protect him from the words. Not on purpose, Aziraphale says firmly. Never on purpose. But my feelings for you are intense. He stares at the cup he's holding as if he doesn't understand where it came from, before pushing it towards the middle of the table, where Crowley's glasses sit. He tucks his hands together instead, thumb gently turning the ring on her smallest finger. I can't always contain their enthusiasm as well as I would like. They may prove difficult to manage if we are intimacy. The way he says it makes it sound like his feelings are physical things to be restrained and suppressed. I felt a bit like that myself, Crowley admits, about you especially, more times than I can count. Aziraphale looks at him, something lost in his expression, as if he couldn't fathom the idea of anyone feeling that way for him, as if he didn't deserve it, which leaves something like anger simmering in Crowley's chest 
that he could ever feel so unwanted. You only have to show me as much as you're comfortable with, and no more, Crowley tells him, because it's important to him that Aziraphale knows that, knows that there's no expectation here. Crowley doesn't need him to share uncomfortable truths to be able to love or trust him. I don't want you to do anything because you think you should, or because you feel like I have a right to it. I'm not going to demand anything from you, Angel. Never. Crowley decides to slide a little of his own vulnerability onto the table. But if you intend on it, I could go first, peel a few layers back, and give you a look at my sulphur-burnt edges, a sliver of a cracked halo, curl an infernal serpent or two around you to warm you, if that's something you'd like, if it would help you. Of course he would do it if Aziraphale asked him to. As vulnerable as it would leave him, the thought still leaves an ache blooming in his chest. He would do it without a second thought. The worry in Aziraphale's eyes softens, the pinpoints of light in his pupils swelling the tiniest fraction. I would like to see you too, very much. Crowley can't pretend that the honest eagerness to the words doesn't thrill him, even if there's a threat of uncertainty there as well. He doesn't want Aziraphale to be disappointed. Oh, Crowley knows he would never say it, that it wouldn't matter to him, but he knows how much of himself he stitched and bolted and melted together to make himself whole over the millennia. The angel is the only one Crowley's ever shown the soft parts of himself to, but that doesn't mean that they're easy to reach that they aren't sometimes surrounded by spiky vines and fire and a whole heap of his own well-trodden insecurities. Aziraphale is the only one who's ever cared enough to make the effort over and over, so he can have them if he wants them. He can have all of him. And nothing says we can't just stay in the bed for a while first. Crowley has been thinking about since Aziraphale last, looking equal parts excited and terrified. Even the thought of that, of the quiet intimacy of it, leaves him leaning into the table, spine wanting to go liquid, to pull him out of his chair and onto the floor. To be asked to stretch out with Aziraphale, to curl around his soft, solid strength, and grumble into the warmth of him while he reads, fingers carding through Crowley's hair, legs tangled, Aziraphale's tartan socks against his disobediently scaled toes. I'd like that too. I'd be happy with that. There's no rush. If we want to show each other what we are, then we can. If we want to rub our fleshy corporations together, then we can. But 
if you want to just lie together for a while, get used to the feel of each other first, Angel, I'd be more than happy with any of it. Aziraphale is staring at him, something like adoration on his face, the steam from his tea rising in impossible curling tendrils. Crowley can't resist a raise of eyebrow, though I would never object to a kiss, not from you. That makes Aziraphale smile, as if he'd said something terribly endearing. I would like a kiss or two, he decides, the purr beneath the words suggesting he's been finding their recent preoccupation with kissing each other as agreeable as Crowley. Or two, Crowley teases, demanding thing. He watches the whole of Aziraphale relax, watches his smile spread, and the room warms around them both. Crowley set his feet on the floor and leans in, body a narrow curve over the table. He makes the requested kiss warm and slow, the second lingering and sweet. Before he sways backwards, rocking on the back legs of his chair, and trying to hold his cocksure smile under the force of the glow, the angel is getting off. He doesn't mention how literal that is. The sharp halo of strange light around the pale blue-gray of his eyes is lovely. Should I invite you upstairs? Aziraphale seems surprised at his own daring. We don't have to go so soon. Crowley reminds him. We could have another drink first. You could pop the gramophone on, and I could take you on a turn or two around the bookshop. Aziraphale's cheeks warm while Crowley watches. He doesn't think the angel's body is supposed to do that. He knows now that it's not a corporation like his own. It's something the angel made at the beginning something to carefully slip himself inside. But Crowley didn't think it was supposed to blush and stutter and be adorable underneath the flirtatious smile of a demon. He thinks, perhaps, that's just for him. A proper bit of a dance now with sweethearts, Crowley adds cheekily, because he can't help himself. A bulb somewhere above them brightens and then pops loudly. Aziraphale's expression is guilty above his now rosy cheeks, and Crowley can't resist the way his smile stretches in his face, wide enough to almost hurt, filing the word away for another time. He snaps his fingers and illumination returns. I'd like that very much, Aziraphale admits. Crowley catches his hand as he slips round the table, tucks him to his feet. It's two turns around the bookshop, the slow and not entirely practiced or elegant sway of a demon, 
and the joyful bouncing steps of something that had spent six thousand years being an angel and had perfected it better than most. It's more exciting than it has any right to be, so much so that they replay the music more than once, then put on another. They stop to move chairs and acquire fresh glasses between songs as they laugh and dance together, drinking strong red wine and travelling less than rhythmically around the shop. They were never meant to dance. Neither of them were made for it. Crowley decides that they give a good account of themselves nonetheless. Aziraphale stands on Crowley's toes at least half a dozen times, and they have to miraculously roll out of the way to avoid crashing into it. But the angel laughs like there's nowhere else he'd rather be, and the sound of it is everything Crowley ever wanted. The space they occupy seems big enough, but the sliding tumble of knick-knacks from shelves and the tip of shunt of furniture suggests that neither of them are being entirely careful what unseen parts of themselves they leave to twist and twirl and trash as they while half the evening away. Proving beyond doubt that a dance was what you made of it. They've always refused to fit neatly into any box and broken all the rules. Crowley has always felt, since the beginning, that they were a matched set. Aziraphale mourns his poor rock when they come to a stop. Crowley lifts his hand and kisses his knuckles as the music finally fades into the gentle crack, crack, crack of a cylinder rolling. Crowley? Hmm. It was the angel in, can't resist laying hands on the soft curve of his waist through shirt fabric, feeling how warm and alive he is underneath. He's pink-cheeked and ever so slightly rumpled from exertion and from being held in Crowley's arms. Take me upstairs. Aziraphale says quietly. Such a gentle plea, a decision made, and Crowley can feel the hiss that builds in his mouth and then spills free. He threads their fingers together, catches tight, then leads the angel towards the stairs in the back. I haven't seen you upstairs for a while, he offers, with an indecent flick of eyebrow designed purely to make Aziraphale fight a smile. Must have been 1900 or so. I remember an uncomfortable guest room with a straw mattress and hideous curtains, a bathroom that still had a wash basin and jug. The words are meant to soothe any nerves that persist, but the teasing is genuine. Which you made fun of at that time as well, Aziraphale remembers with a click of tongue. So I've made a point of updating it every decade or so since. In the hope that I might use it again, Crowley asks, 
finding himself deeply touched by the thought. The idea that Aziraphale might have been waiting, and perhaps hoping that he would stay again. I expect so, Aziraphale says with faint reluctance, though he's clearly trying not to smile again. Crowley decides he'll help him with that and leads in to kiss him. A warm, slow press of lips that Aziraphale sways into a wordless sigh flaring over Crowley's mouth. The upstairs hall had seemed perfectly wide enough before, though now it feels somehow cramped as Crowley presses the angel to its walls, feeling the ceiling and the doorway stretch and creak. The dark shadow of long, tangled shapes slithers up the wallpaper above Aziraphale's head, knocking the small light fitting to and fro, before he draws Crowley in tighter. There have been things over the years that Crowley has seen, things that he hasn't seen, but still knew were there. Six thousand years of tiny pieces to a strange puzzle, and then at the end they'd all come together to make something he loved. I see you. Crowley says quietly. There's an inhale, a flutter of eyelashes, fingers tightening in his jackets as the long dark shapes above them go still, fade just a little into the shadows. Crowley can smell parchment and old cologne and the cold bite of open space. He gently strokes the fine hairs at the back of Aziraphale's neck. I see you, he repeats, and the world didn't end. Aziraphale makes the smallest noise against his mouth, something that feels like it was held in his throat for centuries. Then he takes hold of Crowley's lapels and kisses him fiercely endlessly. A fear inside the angel pulled up by the roots and left to wither. It takes a while for them to separate, and then a while longer for the sharp glow in Aziraphale's eyes to fade. Slow, Crowley reminds himself. I was hoping you'd join me in my room tonight, Aziraphale tells him. There's a touch of hurried formality to the words, but there's also warmth behind them. Made yourself a room, did you? Crowley teases. I always had a room. You kept books in it, didn't you? As Eraphir clearly wants to both frown and smile at the same time, which gives Crowley his answer. There may have been a few volumes, probably more than fifty, Crowley cuts in. A few volumes, Aziraphale continues, forcing back laughter, stacked beside the bed. Sometimes it was pleasant to bring cocoa up here. It's cozy on winter nights. 
He says it like he's ever been cold a day in his life. Though Crowley supposes there's a difference between feeling the cold and wanting to be warm. Still, he can see some of the nerves bleeding away under their more familiar flavor of teasing. It leaves him brave enough to thread his fingers into Aziraphale's pale half-curls, hold him for another kiss, and the pressed whisper of soft things he's still learning how to say out loud. There's a danger of them never leaving the hall, though Aziraphale doesn't seem to mind. Crowley lifts a hand to test the warmth of his cheek, staying for the newness of it, the way it plumps above another smile. Maybe you could read to me for a bit, Crowley suggests. Aziraphale blinks, his expression briefly lost, before it forms into something impossibly formed. Is that all that you want me to do? Wouldn't object to stealing another kiss or two, Crowley says honestly. I'm a demon after all. Perhaps more than a kiss? Aziraphale's voice is light, but it's a promise rather than a suggestion that there will be more than kisses eventually. Even the suggestion leaves something heavy and warm in Crowley's chest, but he can't say he isn't enjoying the careful teasing that feels theirs and no one else's. Aziraphale has finally lost the sharp crackle of nerves he'd been carrying since he confessed to wanting this. He no longer feels like a thunderstorm's worth of static, flaring curious desire out just as easily as the occasional hum of threatening pressure. Now he seems simply heavy with it, his eyes bright and happy. Crowley hopes, as Eurofair knows, that he would never hurry this. There's more than enough time for them to ease into this gently, to enjoy the promise and the anticipation of a new experience. More than a kiss, is it? Well, please do, if you feel inclined. I'd hate for you to restrain yourself. Crowley almost calls himself out immediately by leaning in to steal another. Aziraphale retrieves his hand from where it had half-tucked itself into Crowley's pocket. Cheeky thing! And leads him up the stairs. The bed is everything Crowley expected it to be, though Aziraphale's expression jams his comment in his mouth in favor of more kisses. A laugh rattling in his throat, because they can't seem to stop. Not one kiss in six thousand years, and now he's lost count. He says as much, which gets him a half and a, I haven't lost count, before Crowley is pushed down onto the bed, while Aziraphale fusses among the stacks of books beside it. Something historical, perhaps, or a comedy of manners, 
I know you appreciate the ones with a spot of humor. The words are warm and confident. Aziraphale in his element now, which is always nice to see. Crowley hums agreement with whatever he thinks best while he toes off his boots. He ends up draped over the angel's lap, the most intimate position they've ever shared, feeling strangely easy. He listens to the soft sounds of Aziraphale, not just reading, but making a fair go of the character voices, too. There are gestures over his head, shocked exclamations, and gentle bobs when Crowley offers his opinion, not always graciously. The pages turn, while Crowley winds his fingers through the fabric of the bedspread, watching Aziraphale's soft chin move on every word, and feeling more content than he has ever been in his long life. There's nothing, he realizes, nothing Aziraphale could have revealed to him that would have made a difference. He's always been Aziraphale to him, and he still is, even after discovering that he didn't start as an angel, that he had to learn what it meant for himself. Whatever he was before that, wherever he was before that, it didn't matter. Whatever mysteries he had, Crowley loved him, and will always love him, for as long as he is capable of it. One of Aziraphale's hands leaves the book, threads into his hair, and Crowley lets it go unmentioned for two chapters, even as Aziraphale gives his frankly ridiculous portrayal of a not-at-all-suspicious murder-suspect. Crowley doesn't need to have seen the TV version to know who's going to end up being unmasked at the end. Not that it takes anything away from the story, or the company, or the place they found themselves at after all this time. It's almost morning by the time Aziraphale finally quiets, the book shutting in his hand. His fingers are still drifting slowly in Crowley's hair. He thinks he should object to the way the motion seems designed to settle and to soothe, but he can't make himself. There's no one left to judge either of them after all. Perhaps, perhaps you'd agree to be blindfolded. It's offered tentatively, a suggestion or a thought, perhaps a fear. Crowley holds the brief flare of disappointment, schools his expression into curiosity. Would that help? He asks. What? That'd be easier for you, if I couldn't see you. Aziraphale lifts the book from the bed and sets it down on the table next to it. Crowley eases himself to a sit, leaning in against the angel's side, smoothing the back of his chilly hand with his warm fingers. Is that what you're most afraid of, being seen? Not as such. Aziraphale works his mouth for a moment, 
I have a worry that I won't be what you expect, I suppose. That you will understand how different I am. I have a worry that I won't be what you expect, I suppose. That you will understand how different I am. I have a greater worry that I will be too much for you to look at, too overwhelming all at once. I'm not sure I am entirely confident I could stay together if you touched me like that, that I could continue to inhabit this form. Even if I did, enough of me would be exposed. He stops, frustration obvious. You would still see me. I couldn't hide from you, not without, not without changing you. And you know I would never do that. I know. Crowley kisses his temple, feels the way as he feels eyes, and presses into the contact. It's so much to consider, to expose the whole of yourself, and. Let someone else in. It's been a long time for you, hasn't it? It's more than that. I've never really allowed myself to let go. No one could ever see me, you understand? The consequences would have been disastrous. Aziraphale pushes the words out like the confession has said for years finally trying to share a part of himself that he kept a secret for as long as they'd known each other. But Crowley can feel how much he wants to speak, the way the words rush out over each other. I honestly didn't know what touch was until I met you. I don't think I was designed for it. The distances in empty space are so vast. You could reach out in every direction and cross nothing. I didn't understand. Not until I had a body of my own and everything was so close and so new. It's like finding a new sense you never knew you had. An entire layer of reality which had been there all along. And you were there. You were the first thing I really felt. I didn't know about any of this. Crowley finds Aziraphale's hand on the bed, which had been scratching restlessly as he spoke, and tangles their fingers together. He hopes that in some way the hot clasp of his hand is grounding. There is a distance for us. Aziraphale frowns and tries again. You probably understand that too, or at least you might remember. Making connections when you are non-corporeal or intradimensional being is complicated. Unless you resist, you often pass pieces of yourself along too. Your thoughts, memories, slivers of will understanding. Touching is not simply touching for us. The words come with a slow, gentle squeeze of Crowley's hand, 
as if to demonstrate the difference. Crowley understands that he remembers how strange it had been at the beginning to feel things as muted pressure and texture and temperature rather than simply knowing everything about them. I remember, not so much after, to be honest, Hell's too happy to tear up everything they can't have anymore, to break every connection. You couldn't have connections in the pit, not after everything they'd been through. At the beginning, they'd all been too confused and raw to bear it, and after a while, they stopped trying. Everyone down there's a bit too fond of sinking their teeth or claws into any soft parts they catch you slipping free now. So you just don't leave any soft parts exposed. You put the parts they can't hurt or the parts you can bear to lose on the outside. He can feel his mouth twisting as memories are offered up against his will. But that misery has no place here, not now. He refuses to let it in. Aziraphale's thumb strokes Crowley's knuckles, a strangely human gesture of reassurance. Though he supposes the warmth that he feels in response is human as well. I think our definition of soft parts is a little different, Aziraphale says, in the sort of tone that suggests if anything hellish tried to sink their teeth into him, they would deeply regret it. Crowley loves Aziraphale, and he would protect him with everything he has, but he also knows that Aziraphale has soft parts too. He can be hurt in a different way. Is that what you're afraid of? Passing parts of your memory or essence to me? Parts you think I can't hold? Crowley's not sure if a better question would be whether Aziraphale is afraid of being rejected, of being unwanted once Crowley sees it all but he's seen enough pieces over the millennia to have some idea of the shape of him. There's a writhing darkness in him, but there's also light. There's a drag on him sometimes, like a dead star, and his negative emotions draw in cold like the empty void. But there's also always been Aziraphale, who is brave and kind and generous. He's also fussy and old-fashioned, but still willing to be excited for new possibilities. There's a contagious joyfulness to him and a determination to be good, to choose what he thinks is right. Even if he has to rebel against everything and break all the rules to do it. That's the being that Crowley knows, that he loves. Aziraphale lifts a hand, fiddles with his buttons for a moment. I know how strong you are, he reassures him. 
Please don't think that part of me doesn't long to let the ground fall out from beneath us and trust you. To spend an unfathomable amount of time learning you from the inside out and the upside down. Aziraphale pauses to lift his other hand to press it to Crowley's face. It still feels like so much just to hold you. To hold you and to be honest with you. To have you know everything and still be here with me. To still be mine. Crowley's throat makes a noise without his permission. Far too much in the shape of it, but he doesn't try to take it back. He's made a lot of messy decisions over the years, but he's never giving up on Aziraphale, never lied to him, never for one moment considered leaving him. You really thought I would have ever gone anywhere without you? You think I could have left you behind? Given up on you after all this time? Aziraphale gently bites at his lip, watching Crowley do everything, but declare that life without him would have been meaningless. He knows how hard it was for Aziraphale to tell him, how afraid he'd been that Crowley would assume everything was a lie. Would it be terrible of me to say that I could have found you wherever you went? The words are quiet, but there's an equally determined tone to them. It's so very far from terrible. Knowing for certain that Crowley could never truly be lost, that the angel would always find him. Elaine Silver in the bed gently presses their foreheads together. Always find me, angel. I'm better when I'm with you. Aziraphale sighs, and they are so close it's both a sound and a sensation. He finds Crowley's hands where they rest on the covers, lifts them, and presses them down over his chest. Undress me like a lover, he tells him, the words quiet but firm, as if intimacy is a new and beautiful thing that he wants to try that he's decided he's ready for. Crowley's stomach gives a swooping lurch, a hiss escaping from him. But he can't say no to the way Aziraphale's fingers squeeze his own, the way his expression is warm with nervous excitement. You realize we are already lovers? Crowley underestimated how affecting it would be to say out loud. It's the being in love that makes it, not the sex. I'd like to try the sex too, though. Aziraphale is still smiling, as if he's determined to derail all of Crowley's good intentions. Crowley can't pretend he doesn't want to curl himself around the angel to discover how to make him sigh and gasp and ache, to find out if he needs in the same way Crowley does. 
if he feels overwhelmed under the squeeze of a hand or the press of a mouth low on his stomach. To touch the softness of his corporation, wake nerves into life and see if a Xerophil feels it as pleasure. He wants all of that, wants to offer it up like a gift, another way to show the angel how much he adores him. He reaches out, gently teases a pale button through its hole. The second pop reveals a stretch of his chest, then the dusting of pale hair. It makes it real somehow, the nearness of him, the way Crowley's knuckles brush his skin, the way cotton drifts to reveal a body he loves beyond measure. Aziraphale laughs as he's unbuttoned with a nervous sort of impatience, and suddenly Crowley's the one who can't think of anything but all the things this will mean and what it will change. We've tried so many other new things, Aziraphale reassures him as if he can feel it. A great deal of them together. Crowley pauses with his fingers on the last button of his shirt, waiting in the moment where the angel is not yet bare to touch and hold and love like humans do. Though you must tell me if it's too much for you, Aziraphil urges him. Promise me that. Crowley reaches for his hand, drawing it up and pressing his mouth to warm fingers. They turn in his grip and slide upwards, cup his face like he's something precious, something fragile. How much of the world must seem fragile to him? How much of it had he cupped in his hands and marveled and wondered at? Aziraphale has been so many things for so many years, and now he's here with him, excited to be loved in every way. Crowley turns his head, presses his face into the angel's hand. Because Aziraphale will always be an angel to him, always. Course I will. I understand how important it is to you. Stop worrying. It'll be fine. There's so much more of me than you know. Aziraphale shares it like another confession, but it seems to come out of him a little easier every time. I don't want to overwhelm you. Crowley's tempted to tease him about the phrasing, but he knows the angel's trepidation is genuine. He knows how worried he is, and he understands that it's not without reason. But knowing that Aziraphale wants this, that he wants them to share love and intimacy in all its form and varieties. If Crowley's being honest, He's a little overwhelmed by that already. The shirt slides back off Aziraphale's wide shoulders, drops and flutters away, leaving the beautiful softness of him as a feast for Crowley's eyes. He can't resist sliding his hands up, 
learning the shape of him under his curls. The drift of his fingers over skin pulling a sigh out of him, as does the drag of his nails through the pale hair on his chest, a thumb sliding under a soft curve, fingertips against the small peak of a nipple. Look at you, Crowley says quietly. You're beautiful. Why, thank you. Aziraphale breathes a laugh, his own hands lifting to slip under the edge of Crowley's shirt, pushing it gently upwards, bearing his skin for Aziraphale to touch as well. I'm rather fond of the body, too. Crowley lets the angel strip him, running curious hands over his long limbs and hard joints. They've seen each other bare before, but never like this. Never with the understanding that they can explore each other. That they can slide hands where bodies are soft and vulnerable, learning new things about each other. Crowley's not quite sure how to bear it and ever be the same. That he'll ever feel anything but the slide of Aziraphale's warm hands, the press of a chest against his own, the slow trail of knuckles on his inner thigh. They climb into Aziraphale's bed, making space for the both of them in the sheets. Crowley kisses him for a while, lets Aziraphale keep touching him, lets those large hands he's been thinking about for half an eternity indulge themselves, stroking and squeezing, trailing ticklish fingers where a demon shouldn't be sensitive, much to Aziraphale's obvious delight. A smile is pressed to the length of Crowley's neck and the round of his shoulder, Curious lips trail his chest and stomach, and when he looks down he can see the faintest glow beneath the angel's delicate lashes. He reaches for him, strokes the curve of Aziraphale's neck, the solid stretch of his back. Where Crowley knows there are no wings beneath the skin. Not really. What do you want, Aziraphale? Tell me. There's a sigh against his ribs, a press of mouth, and then honesty. I want you in this body. Aziraphale takes a breath that Crowley knows he doesn't need. I want to make room inside for you, the way humans do, and the way they don't. Hearing him say it, hearing the shivery notes of genuine want under the words, Crowley pulls him in, presses his face to the warmth of his throat, muffles the noise he makes there. Yeah, he asks against the skin. Sounds perfect to me. Aziraphale grips his bare arms, slides a leg between Crowley's, fitting them together from chest to toes. But I'm afraid I might come apart, he admits, that you'll make me feel too much to remain whole. 
Crowley has known for a while how tightly Aziraphale has been holding himself together, how careful he is when they kiss. It might not be as bad as you think, he says gently, if that's something you want. His thumb follows the curve of Aziraphale's jaw. Do you want to break open for me? I think I'd like to see that. Aziraphale sighs and pulls him in tighter, the whole room darkening in a wave, until the only thing visible is the hot flaring circles of his eyes. Yes! The word feels like a blow, the weight pressing into Crowley's skin, a beautiful sting of need and desire that feels as alien as it does exquisite. He gathers the angel in, lets him tuck his face into his throat, while the room gradually lightens again, though the corners remain pitch black, liquid and shifting. Crowley strokes Aziraphale's warm thighs, urging them to spread over his own. I'm going to finger you open, okay? Aziraphale gives a quiet laugh. You don't have to. I can be anything inside that you want. I want to, Crowley tells him, which is true. He's thought about every intimacy there is when it comes to Aziraphale. Thought a lot about touching you like that. So many times. Aziraphale's confession that he was far older and more complicated than Crowley thought hadn't changed that. About feeling you open for me, I thought about you wanting us to be joined. Aziraphale bites his lip and spreads himself wider, tilts his hips, urging Crowley in. Crowley touches him first, can't help given the opportunity. He strokes the thick sway of his cock, blush pink at the head and warm in his hand, then the heavy weight of his balls, gentle by habit, and because everything is so new before he moves his hand further back, finding the small, tight clench that takes the first push like it had been waiting for him, leaving Crowley feeling the warm squeeze of him on one slick finger, then two. Aziraphale sighs and strokes his hair, watching him until it becomes too much, and then closing his eyes. It's hard to hold on when you do that, he says weakly, light leaking through his pale eyelashes. I've never had anything so close to being inside me. So don't, Crowley tells him, fingers pushing in a steady rhythm, watching the way Aziraphale's thighs tense, the way his balls sway gently. Let go, Angel. There's so much. Aziraphale's eyes open, nothing inside but light, 
that steady glow that illuminates the whole room. Crowley can feel it on her skin, as if a xerophile is expanding outwards, pressing down on him. Before that force seems to draw back, to tighten once again. It's all right, Crowley says. You can let it out. Crowley, you don't understand. It's all right. Crowley curves upwards, pushes his free hand into a zero of his hair and kisses him, the white of his eyes near blinding. He's still holding back still being so careful. Crowley knows it's not just because he's worried he'll hurt him. Aziraphale is afraid to let him see, to let him really see him. Let it happen, Crowley encourages. How beautiful. You could never be anything else to me. Nothing inside you. Nothing that you could ever show me would make me love you any less. There's a shuddering sigh, and then Aziraphale is kissing him, mouth hard and desperate. He reaches down, urges Crowley out of his body as he shuffles higher, his desire obvious. Crowley slips his fingers free, wraps his hand around the stiff line of his cock, hissing as he pulls oil over its length, before catching hold of a xerophil's soft tips and easing him into position. Slowly, Crowley tells him, You've never done this before. You can't hurt me, Aziraphale says, with a familiar fussy impatience that Crowley loves. Greedy thing, he accuses. But she feels the head of himself pressed to that tight ring of muscle, breaching it in one steady push. Yes! Crowley feels the reality of the world shift around the world as Aziraphale sinks down onto him, buttocks pressing to the cradle of his hips. They move together, like they always have done. Crowley feels the moment Aziraphale lets him go, lets himself feel. He's the brightest thing in the room, the lighthouse glow of his eyes, the slowly opening tears in his corporation, which are gently spilling threads of darkness and static points of light. The vast and impossible shape of him pushing at the edges of the world. Then finally, finally breaking through. He is glorious, with trails of inky blackness running from the wounds of him. Crowley's not sure if he should touch, fingers carefully gripping around them, until Aziraphale pulls his hand up his thigh and presses it down. Crowley can feel it spill and slide through his fingers, the crackling power of it, the hunger for him. He grinds up into Aziraphale's body, helpless to do anything else. 
hearts. He feels raw and fragile beneath him, like an exposed nerve. Crowley! His name sounds like the open void of space, like the heart of a star, like the first spark of an inferno. Aziraphale's back tears open white beneath Crowley's fingers, the darkness inside unwinding from him and spiraling out into the room, stretches and coils that thicken and thrash. They exist in more dimensions than Crowley's eyes can see, snapping in and out of face with a word. They press at the walls until the plaster cracks, the light above swinging back and forth as they battered it, and then finally bursting with a crack. The tentacles reach for him, twine around his thighs, ankles and arms, reaching for his face like a lover. The burn of them is cold and inescapable as they slowly tighten. Greedy, desperate things, long denied the chance to touch him, to hold him. They are so strong, so determined, and Crowley can feel the way they pin him down and pull him in, equal forces battling to keep him. The way Aziraphale sighs and gasps as he moves on him tells Crowley he can feel through them too. Angel! It's a hiss of air, half pained and desperate, his fingers digging into Aziraphale's flexing thighs as he urges him on. Crowley! His name is breathless, an ache of hunger in it. I want... Anything, Crowley tells him honestly. Anything at all. Aziraphale leans in, grasps his face, and pushes their mouths together. There's the wet thrust of a tongue, impatient and clumsy, and then not just a tongue. Crowley's mouth is stretched wide and then filled, the slick, muscular writhe of Aziraphale's true form, gliding in and sliding gently down his throat. Crowley's hips jerk, pushing up into the angel's squeezing tightness as the chill squirm of that strange gathering urges his jaw wider to fit inside, to fill him up all the way. They twist deeper than his corporation, crack through the center of him until their inner essences reach for each other and then touch. They finally learn the taste of each other. Strange and beautiful and loved. The serpent tucked deep inside Crowley, cracked halo, feathered wings and charred core of splintered light, opens wide for the angel and accepts that terrifying intimacy. Aziraphale feels it too, and he finally breaks open, spills outwards. The room around them unmakes itself and shreds into atoms, fades into nothing as a supernova goes off behind Crowley's eyes. 
Aziraphale cradles him gently, keeps him safe inside his vast and impenetrable body, while he rocks him less. The end.